This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, Lagerlout and Booze Hounds, and welcome to another episode of the Hop Forward podcast. On days like today, where the sun is shining, the weather is sweet, there's nothing that people from Australia to Zimbabwe like to do more than drink cold, refreshing, crisp lagers. Despite the FHM, Lads Mag, lager drinking culture of the mid-90s being long lost and mostly forgotten, lager still remains the world's most popular beer style by a clear mile. And I'm pretty certain that many wouldn't give a Castlemine Forex for the hangovers that accompanied the hedonistic aspects of the 90s. <laughs> I know I wouldn't. Even though I once took a world lager to a bottle share only to receive low scores from many of the participants who bought Lambics, Lambics, and, oh, look, Mr. Frodo, more Lambics. Lager has seen a resurgence among a growing number of craft beer drinkers. While IPAs and New England-style IPAs dominate the craft beer category, many drinkers are starting to reappreciate the subtle flavours and nuances of lager, while brewers pour over the technical wonders of decoction mashes and cellaring beer just right to create stunning flavour profiles for all to enjoy. Modern craft breweries in the UK, such as Manchester Union Brewery, Donzoko and Devon's Utopian Brewing are among some of the newer brewers to be producing this historic beer style with their own twist to create some outstanding examples within the category. However, many of these modern breweries probably wouldn't exist without standing on the shoulder of giants such as the Czech Republic's nationally owned Budweiser Budvar. In many ways, Budvar has had to reinvent itself over the last 125 years, though the history of the brewery itself in one form or another dates back to 1265 and the city of Budweis itself was the imperial brewery for the Holy Roman Empire. And yet, at the heart of this iconic brewery is one thing, it's lager beer. Budweiser made such an impression on one American brewer that he decided to even name his own beer Budweiser and both breweries have tussled over trademark disputes and the right to use the word Bud, Budvar or Budweiser in various territories ever since. Coming more up to date, imagine what it was like for beer professional Josh Smith to land a newfound position as the UK marketing manager for the brewery, having previously worked for the likes of Chicago's Goose Island, to find himself in the beer cellar of Budweiser Budvar drinking Budvar Dark straight from the tank. Take that one off the bucket list. And so armed with bottles of both the original Budweiser Budvar and Budvar Dark, I set off on a personal quest to find out more about this timeless beer from Josh and the brewers themselves, Adam and George. 
In this episode, we discuss everything from the production process, decoction mashing, cellaring, and common off-flavours found in lagers, right through to the ongoing trademark disputes, cultural context surrounding lagers, and how the brewery is managing to produce and package its beers while it staffs safely social distance. I highly recommend that you find a lager to accompany this episode. And after you've drunk that, you should try one of the beers from this week's... Okay, what a segue. Come on, come on. Um, This week's brewery shout out goes to my good mate Rick from Spotlight Brewing, who is seeking to raise awareness about learning disabilities one beer at a time. But rather than me spotlighting the brewery and their beers, see what I did there, um, I'm going to let Rick himself tell you all about their great beers. Hi, my name's Rick from Spotlight Brewing. We are a social enterprise that is based in Yorkshire. We have three main goals. Um, Firstly, to craft fantastic beer. Secondly, is to provide a tailored workspace for people with learning disabilities. And thirdly, is to raise awareness for learning disabilities. Now, we do this by uh, naming each of our beers with some sort of relationship to a, a learning disability. And then we provide a paragraph of information on our cans, on our bottles, um, along with links so people can hopefully, while they're sat down having a beer, um, research and learn something new. If you would like to find out more about us, or maybe even try some of our beer, please visit our website, www.spotlightbrewing.co.uk. Cheers. Thanks, Rick. Make sure you look out for those cans, which I must confess look beautiful. I'm bound to say that because I designed them, um, <laughs> but they, they they do look great. They do, um, and the beers are great, and it's all for a really great cause. So make sure you check out Spotlight Brewing. And finally, also make sure you follow us on social media at Hot Four Beers and connect with us on LinkedIn. Join the ever-growing Facebook group for further discussions about brewing or running a beer business of some description and visit hotforward.beer, which I am aiming to update with some more examples of the work we, the Royal We, uh, do for breweries, bars, bottle shops and suppliers who very much focus on the business of beer. So that's hotforward.beer. And last, but by no means least, don't forget to tune in next week as I have a cracking interview lined up with author, broadcaster and consultant Pete Brown talking all about the word craft. So make sure you subscribe to the show if you don't already to hear that immediately when it comes out or drops, as the cool kids say. But for now, this week, I'm joined by Yuri Petkart, Adam Brosh and Josh Smith from Budweiser Budvar talking all all about lagering and the history of their iconic brewery and beer. Today on the Hop 4 podcast, I'm really privileged to be joined by the gang from Budweiser Budvar. Hello. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Hello. How, how are you guys doing? Hey, all, all fine here. It's um, just a bit of challenging time for all of us, so we are trying to to keep it rolling, you know. But um, yeah, well, it's good. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, why, why don't you each, each introduce yourself um, and say who you are, what your role is uh, in Budweiser Budvar, and how you got involved with the brewery. So, should we start with uh, you, Josh? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I'm Josh Smith. 
Smith, uh, obviously not from the Czech Republic. Um, I'm the UK marketing manager for Budweiser Budvar. Um, I've worked in the beer industry since I was 15 years old, so I'm, I'm now 34, so approaching 20 years. I, I was in pubs and hospitality for about 15 years, um, and sort of probably Pinnacle was uh, one of the management team at the White Horse Parsons Green, where I fell in love with beer. Um, I've worked for Goose Island Brewery in Chicago and um, was their European brand ambassador for, for about three years. And um, yeah, I'm a certified Cicerone um, a beer professional and also a cheese professional, a cheese associate with the Academy of Cheese. And I, I joined Budvar actually in 2019. And um, yeah, it's always been a a, amazing experience drinking their beers and, and a bit of a dream to be honest to be able to work for the brewery and travel back to the czech republic wow a cheese associate yeah the the um academy of cheese recently launched a program that's similar to the cicerone program in a sense that they've got a new way of of, of how to categorize uh, cheese in certain style varieties um it's really interesting and it it's five levels essentially. Uh, level one is associate, and level five is master of cheese, which um, I think I, I'm a big cheese fan. So, master of cheese at the end of my name would be a dream. <laughs> Amazing. So, do, do they have like an app like Untapped for cheese lovers? I don't believe they've got an app yet, but they are moving quite quickly. Um, so, so, the level two has just been released. Um, when I did the course, actually, you, you have to study a, a group of cheeses and then you're, you're examined on them afterwards. And uh, some of the people on the course were like the uh, head cheese buyer for Harrods and, and, and other people that had their own cheese shops. So uh, it was quite daunting, challenging for me as just as a, a passionate cheese person. But, um, you know, for me, cheese and beer, there's no perfect match, something you can do anywhere. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Cool. Hello, my name is Adam Brosh. Uh, I'm a brewmaster of Budweiser Budvar Brewery. Uh, in the history, I am the 10th brewmaster. I was born in Budweiser and I always tended to study uh, natural sciences. And there was a very nice brewery in this city, like a part of the city. And I have decided to study malting and brewing in Prague. So I've been working for this lovely company for 21 years nowadays. Wow, amazing. Yeah, hello. Um, so my name is George, which in Czech translates to Yiří. Um, in uh, the brewery, I, I look after uh, trade quality and innovations. I believe that uh, trade quality is, is one field which um, is really important to focus at. Um, later on in this podcast, I think we will cover more uh, in detail how uh, complex the brewing science is and uh, what care and energy it takes to make the beer the right way. So uh, my part of the job is to, to implement systems to keep it uh, on the best level possible throughout the distribution um, after the beer leaves the brewery, especially in, in on-trade. So um, this is what I enjoy. And um, actually beer uh, kind of runs in our family. My great-grandfather was a maltster and my father was an amazing beer enthusiast and connoisseur. Um, and beer was always part of my life somehow, you know. Mm. Um, growing up in the Czech Republic, um, it's kind of given. 
uh, we actually call our republic the Republic of Beer. Uh, it has tremendous history. And uh, throughout my life, I was quite lucky uh, because I was able to, to travel and spend uh, some years abroad where I could see how important the beer industry is for the Czech uh, economy. And I would say that when I came back to the country, I understood that the uh, brewing industry is well respected and it has a great history and uh, amazing future. So I just wanted to be part of it. And then, well, uh, the opportunity with Budvar came in and it's a national brewery. Come on. I mean, yeah. no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just before we look at a bit of the history about Budweiser Budvar and, and questions on the lagering process, um, I think it was interesting what you just said about um, beer in the Czech Republic being like, you know, the national drink and a huge part of the economy. Like w- with everything that's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic, how is how is Budweiser Budvar and the Czech Republic people, how, how are you handling all that? Well, how's, how's trade affected over there? Um, well, we have uh, to follow the restrictions, you know, for safe for, for sake of uh, health and safety. We have witnessed this uh, throughout Europe, and obviously there are no opportunities to to meet in pubs, and um, it's a time which is quite hard for everyone. Yeah. On the other hand, I would say the the brewery has managed to to uh, to maintain the production, the demand for bottled and canned beer is is rising uh, so uh, in terms of volumes of sales i would say we are not suffering as much as, as uh, we could if we didn't have well developed um, global distribution in off trade mm. uh, but of course yeah beer is not just about the product beer is about meeting about yeah. talking you know having good time together and um we have social media. We have we have this podcast, which we are doing now, sitting, you know, in different cities in Europe. So we can do this on a regular basis uh, with our friends. But you know, having the beer in hand and and see our faces, uh, it's it's kind of missing already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to confirm that there was no interruption of production. We are uh, running at full pace and produ- producing. Uh, our beer so that's a positive side of this strange period yeah fantastic so but i also would say uh, adam if i could add one thing to it um it has shown the brewing community in in our brewery um has proved that we can uh, stick together like at the beginning of the problem you know there were no masks so people started sewing them and distributing them to their colleagues and um the production which is um, really uh, in the first line you know this is environment where people um, work close to each other they are really uh, it's something to thank for really they do a tremendous job so it's amazing to be part of it yeah so Budvar's got quite a bit of interesting history surrounding it especially with the name Budweiser uh, which can be confusing for some I mean can, can you give us a lowdown on some of the backstory of the brewery and, and the name disputes between Anheuser Busch Budweiser and the original Budweiser Budvar yeah if I can start for for me it's not confusing for me it's absolutely clear because Budweiser it means coming from Budweiser and the brewing tradition uh, in this city is more than 700 years old 
and Budweiser, uh, Budvar as the brewery, uh, works uh, in uh, the continuity of Budweiser brewing in this city. So for me, it's clear that the Budweiser and the original is only one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, the, the confusion uh, arose a little bit later. Um, if you look all the way back to the history, um, it reaches to the year 1265 when the city of Bodweis has been founded and it has been granted uh, special privileges by the king. One of the privileges was to brew beer. It was also a part, uh, a very important part of, of the industry back then. And uh, by uh, founding cities and providing them with special um, privileges, uh, the king uh, was helping to make his reign stronger. Of course, throughout the centuries, uh, several brew houses were in town and they uh, were joining uh, to achieve higher efficiency and and eventually they uh, they form some kind of semi-industrial breweries. So we are talking about centuries of development. Mm. Um, if you think about the uh, global uh, reach of Budweiser, of this brand, of course there is a big role played by the American um, St. Louis-based uh, Budweiser. And... Um, it is actually a brewery which was inspired by the history of the brewing in this region, in the region of South Bohemia, in the region in Budweiser. And also the name Budweiser, um, I could explain that um, the population of our city or of our region was uh, very to, to high extent mixed with a German-speaking minority. So therefore, the city called in Czech, Czeske Budějovice, uh, has its German name, Budweis, and therefore Budweiser means adjective coming from the city of Budweis, coming mm. from Czeske Budějovice. And onologically, you know, when uh, people uh, who were migrating from the old uh, Europe the new uh, America with all the new opportunities, what would they take with them? You know, they would take their know-how, experience, and they would just pick it up and develop it in the new environment. If I, if I was a shoemaker in, in Europe and would go to America, I would probably make shoes. And if I was successful, I might call my factory after the place I am originally from. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, you see, that was an inspiration, uh, which is perfectly... Uh, easy to explain and it's always uh, bound to the place of origin South Bohemia but vice I think it's documented in um, one of Pete Brown's books who's a beer writer um, from the UK um, about how there was a long-going trademark dispute from Anaisa Bush um, with Budweiser Budvar as you said you've been around for hundreds of years but I, I know as, as when I first started drinking beer and, and I saw Budweiser Budvar I, I associated it because of the name Budweiser with the American brand which obviously it isn't like how, how did that ultimately sort of play itself out and how do you try and differentiate yourself now in the market for consumers that haven't probably no idea you know, you know, you kind of average person that just kind of doesn't think about beer other than it's cold and I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
um, I, I could pick up a little bit from the UK side on that one because I think um, that you know it, it's a challenge in the UK with with people sort of not understanding the the the, the difference between and you know you see Budweiser on the shelf and and of course you you lean towards thinking that they're linked because the names are the same. Um, just sort of. Uh, Globally, if you, you look at the trademark disputes that still actually are ongoing, um, you know, it, it happens with new markets or, you know, they, they, the, the cases come back up again. But, um, you know, the UK market specifically, AB InBev headquarters based in Belgium now, uh, who own American Budweiser, are allowed to use the full name Budweiser in the UK market. And we obviously are, are allowed to use our name. Actually, if you look throughout Europe, Czech Budweiser, uh, you know, Budweiser Budvar is more protected. We have more countries that we can use our full name, whereas the American Budweiser will be called Bud. Right. If you saw the the World Cup in Russia, uh, the, it was the Bud Hotel. It was it was they're, they're not allowed to use their full name. So so actually the challenges one in the UK market uh, from a marketing perspective uh, when we talk about activation and you know I, I come into contact with with people that that do get um, confused and and you know that's. Uh, that's something that we're we're working on um, at the moment. Um, and I, you know, another an amazing thing, you know, part of our name is Budvar. And um, again, I don't think a lot of people in the UK understand where that name has come from. Um, and that's something that we trademarked uh, back in 1930, back in the Czech Republic in 1932 internationally. But it, it's a, it's a it's a sandwich of two names, which is, uh, and the guys will recorrect me on my pronunciation here, I'm sure, Budjeviki, uh, which means from from. And uh, Pivo, meaning brewery. So, Va and Buja, Budva, guys, do you want to say it? <laughs> yeah, 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 well, actually, you are doing well. Uh, it's hard to pronounce sometimes. The, the Czech version um, of Budweiser Budvar is uh, Budějovický Budvar, as the city uh, of Budweiser is, is called Budějovice in Czech. So we have Budějovický Budvar, the Czech version, and Budweiser Budvar, which is the uh, English or German translation of the same thing. Um, in addition to this, we also have a brand uh, called Czechvar. And uh, this is a brand which we use in Americas. Um, it, if I should give you a quick um, overview of the legal background, um, it um, it all relates to agreement signed, I believe, somewhere around the 1938-39, something like that. I'm not very sure. Maybe Adam will correct me with a particular date. But um, it was the time when uh, our brewery was already active in exporting to, um, to America. And uh, at the same time, the American Budweiser has been uh, developed enough to uh, become a strong entity. So kind of uh, at that point, uh, it already became to a situation where the clash of those two brands was inevitable. So and the given situation, the politics situation around, you know, around it was at the time around the start of the World War II, um, there were many challenges. And um, I understand that the brewery management back then agreed uh, with Anheuser-Busch uh, to give up the right to uh, use our original trademark, uh, Budweiser Budvar, in America. 
and uh, refrain from any branding which would uh, carry BUD in it. So in America, we are not allowed to use Budweiser Budwar. We are not allowed to use the Czech translation, which is Budějovický Budwar. So therefore, we have the brand Czechvar. And uh, the situation um, is pretty much different country to country. Uh, if I could, if I should simplify it, I would say our traditional uh, distribution and uh, traditional regions, uh, mainly Europe, are strictly um, under our control, and we are uh, we have the right to use our trademark Budweiser Budvar. There are some exceptions where um, the consumer's perspective uh, might be considered too confusing in terms of uh, what beer should we understand under Budweiser. Is it the American one or is it the Czech one? So that's the countries where we are, uh, we have to use the Czech version, Budějovický Budvar, but there are not too many, uh, especially there are countries like that in, in Asia, but not too many in Europe. Uh, so it, it's a bit confusing, it is, <laughs> but uh, it reflects the, the development of the distribution uh, and um, pretty much a hard job behind the brand protection in the past. Yeah. So let's um, let's look at actually the beer and, and look at the lagering process. So, um, f- I mean, firstly, what, what qualities do you think makes for a good lager what what should brewers be striving for when brewing lager beer if you brew the lager i think that uh, you uh, have to become uh, my favorite word harmonic beer because if you want to drink more than one beer the taste must be harmonic and uh, the lager category uh, is tempting to be harmonic you have to be patient at first. I think that if you brew the lager, you have to be patient. It could be different in comparison to other uh, beer categories. You have uh, uh, to use soft water, good malt, good hops. You can't skip the decoction machine and long lagering. I think it's short reset, but you have to have if you want to brew the lager i think lagers can be overlooked especially by some of the more overzealous quote-unquote craft beer bros out there i mean what why do you think that is and what what do you think makes good lagers like exceptional and the most popular beer style i want to say that in comparison to other beer styles uh, the lager is always drinkable i think the good lager and the drinkability and uh, the possibility to drink the lager at every occasion, uh, that's the highlight of lager category. Mm. Yeah, Definitely. so Adam, you, you, you mentioned this, uh, this word you like, the, the harmony. Yeah. I remember last time we uh, were talking about it, you mentioned it as well. And uh, it's really, really important one, I believe. Uh, you also remember you said about uh, 3,000 compounds that are actually somehow influencing the taste of beer um, and bring all these um, compounds into a perfect harmony. It's, it's, it's a really challenging job. Um, and if I should wrap it up, uh, I would say... The balance of malt character, mild bitterness, and hop aroma, when made in the right way, 
can only be achieved in lager because it's not disturbed by anything else. Mm. It could be said so, but I think that the uh, key word in your sentence is in uh, right balance. It's mm. very difficult to define. Uh, on the other hand, I could uh, imagine, and I have tried uh, abroad, Uh, many uh, different beers, uh, kind of uh, uh, different kinds of uh, beer, beer styles, which were harmonic. Uh, I think that the harmony is not uh, uh, the trait of uh, lager only, uh, mm-hmm. but the drinkability. You can have uh, the harmony, harmonic beer, but the drinkability could be low. And I think that the drinkability is really the most important. Uh, in case of lager, and also the, would say, uh, universality or uh, possibility to drink the beer at every occasion. Uh, I think uh, that the beer became uh, a part of the everyday life. That's the strength of the lager beer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nick, I'd say from um, from from sort of my perspective, and you know. I think your your quote was uh, with with craft beer bros out there potentially overlooking it. Um, I think you know as as, a, as an avid fan of, of of I don't want to go into the word craft beer actually because what is craft? But you know for, for some people that are you, moving away from drinking macro beer, uh, macro lager, and, and and taking their sort of first steps into what we call craft beer, um, a lot of those people the doorway opens into hop forward IPAs and pale ales and I think for me, everybody's on a different journey within craft. Um, and I think the people, you know, the, the craft beer bros, um, the, the, the expression you used, I think some of these people may still be in the, the you know, the utmost hoppy phase drinking New England IPA and 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 those style beers um, and, and, and really hop forward beers. But there is this change that's been happening over over the last uh, last couple of years, actually, Um Where where people are starting to rediscover lager within the craft movement, um, I think you know we, we're always a, say we're always a couple of years behind the U.S. Um, you know we've seen waves of things like Italian Pilsner is now a new style coined over in the U.S. Started with one brewery Oxbow in New York, where you know they all love Birra Ficha Italiano Tipo Pils. That's inspired a whole wave of of craft lagers and and you know and 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 American brewers as they do and British brewers drink. Drinking traditional European styles like Budweiser Budvar or other other traditional uh, lagers, that it's inspiring them to to recreate those styles. Um, and, and you know, to Adam and, and, and Georgie's point, it's about drinkability. Um, and I think this is this is what what we're seeing. And even in the UK, we've got some fantastic breweries at the moment. Um, I recently over the weekend had some Braybrook uh, uh, Amber Keller beer, which I thought was stunning. You know, Gypsy. Hill are making some fantastic Heller's Lagers, Hunters, one of their core beers. And they did a, a hundred day Red Maybach recently with, with Mao Brow. There's, you know, Don Zocco. There's there's just this this renaissance. And, and I really think, you know, going back to the point of the craft beer bro, I think a lot of these people are discovering lager. And I think lager will become more and more important um, as we move forward. Uh, yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, I love the way you put it adam um about the beer being in harmony i think i think that's as a musician as well for me that that's a really good example 
Um, I've I've been indulging quite a lot in um, Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys of late, and you know the the, the way that Brian Wilson arranged all that music and all those vocal melodies and harmonies is ju- everything's just in this perfect balance and it's it's all this attention to detail you know um about how the you know the the marimba should only come in on beat three of the bar not beat two and three and all, all these little things and I, I love that how how that kind of example translates over to beer I mean, why don't you walk us through then, um, you know, the, the process of some of those details of brewing a beer like Budweiser Budvar um, from start to finish, you know, the, 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 the water, the, the malt, the hops, the yeast, the cellaring um, and all that. So, I mean, what, what, well, let's start with brewing liquor. What, what consideration should a brewer make with their liquor when it comes to brewing a good lager? It's a very important thing. Uh, I have mentioned the soft water. That's the beginning of the lager brewing. And if you have uh, the soft water, you uh, have to do nothing with the water before uh, coming into the brew house. Uh, that's the uh, that's the case of uh, Budweiser Budvar Brewery, which uses uh, its uh, artesian wells, 300 meter deep. Uh, which uh, give uh, very soft water for about five German degrees of uh, hardness. Mm. So uh, the only treatment uh, is the sand filtration. The solid particles are removed uh, by the sand filter. No chemistry. The water is ready to use in brew house after the sand filtration. Yeah. So how, how with having your own well... Um, I mean, what what sort of things should brewers consider when they've got their own well, other than like you said, like the sand particles and, and other minerals that might be down there? Because you know, I know brewers that have their own well water, um, and you know, so if you're in that position, like what what kind of things do you need to kind of keep a check on with your liquor? The best best thing is uh, to have the well. It means to set the brewery where the source of water is natural. If if not. It is possible to use uh, the equipment which uh, removes the ions uh, of magnesium and calcium especially and uh, decreases uh, the water softness. Hmm. So how how much does liquor affect the quality of a a lager beer styles then? Looking at all the different sort of styles, not not just kind of like Pilsners, but like some of the like... um, Doppelbox and all that kind of thing. Well, I think that the liquor quality is one of the pillar of the lager quality, especially. Mm. Okay, so let, let's move on to malt then. So, what are some of the best malt varieties to use when, when making lagers? It depends on uh, the next process. I think if I use Budweiser Budvar as an example, uh, we still we are still using the uh, two mesh decoction meshing, uh, cold fermentation and long lagering. And for these processes, uh, the Czech varieties, uh, the traditional Czech varieties are the best. Nowadays we are using, for example, the variety Boyos, Malts and Laudis. They are the Czech names. Yep. of uh, three varieties which are nowadays 
being used in Budweiser Budvar. So all of them, they are the traditional varieties uh, which are suitable for the traditional process. The decoction is, uh, is the most important word. Yeah. Can you unpack that a bit more? Because I know a lot of brewers that listen to this will be familiar with what decoction mashing is. Um, but I would imagine, particularly in the UK, because there's a lot of single infusion mash tons out there, um, you know, they don't have the capabilities of doing it or, or they just never have done it. Um, can, can you unpack the decoction process a bit more and what additional equipment brewers need in order to do that? Or even home brewers that might be listening to this thinking, oh, I fancy making a, a, a proper lager and having to go to decoction mash. Like, can you unpack some of the equipment you need and the process and that kind of thing? One more pot, at least. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, that, that was my answer because uh, the old brewer said uh, that two pots are enough to brew the beer, and that's true. That's true. Uh, I think that uh, the clue is not in the equipment. It's really only uh, a heated pot more, uh, but the decoction, uh, that's uh, the main difference uh, of the lagers in comparison to uh, other categories because uh, most of the ales uh, there are different meshing uh, schemes than, than the decoction. That's the reason why the equipment is different. But uh, nowadays in uh, Europe and in the world uh, the right equipment, professional equipment is available from the small scale till uh, the, the industrial big scale so there is no problem to be equipped by uh, decoction uh, brew house. Uh, it means to have at minimum two, two pots. Uh, what is uh, more important, that's uh, the decoction procedure and the uh, particular recipe, because by the decoction you are controlling uh, the cutting of starch and other long molecules into the particular parts. And it formates the final uh, taste of the beer, especially the lager. Mm. Yep, okay. I think we could we could uh, explain a little bit more what, what happens in throughout this process. You know, as, uh, the important part of this uh, brewing process is that uh, the uh, complicated sugars which are stored in form of starches are to be uh, transformed into shorter sugar molecules and uh, into a form which is further on uh, processable by the yeast so this is what we need to do here just cut these long chains short and uh, the technological temperatures uh, during the infusion or decoction actually help us to activate the enzymes, the alpha and beta amylases. So uh, this is what we need to understand. And maybe we can we can cover it a little bit more in detail if um, if you want to. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, uh, Adam, would you like to yeah. would you like to proceed with that? Because I think this is um, very often. Uh, yeah. We saw uh -huh. the coction, we talk about the technology behind it, but uh -huh. uh, we actually don't uh, follow the uh, quite important thing that the boiling in between and mm -hmm. uh, the transforming from one vessel to the other changes yeah. the temperature and therefore we always reach the technological temperature to, to, yeah. to, you know, uh, to, to achieve the, uh, uh, another uh, active uh, amylotic process. 
So at the end, we have um, the double decoction, which develops color, mold character, and helps us to support the superior head. But 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 how? <laughs> That's always yeah. the question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I, I can I can try to uh, describe shortly uh, the whole process because there is no secret. If you open the old books of Czech brewing. There will be the two mesh decoction described. That's that's Budvar. It's the mm. same. So if you at first you mix uh, the uh, ground uh, mold grains uh, with water at uh, 37, 38 degrees centigrade uh, to set up uh, the pH level, the, the acidity of the whole mesh. It's very important at the beginning because it influences all the other processes. Then the hot water is added to the brew uh, up to 50 degrees centigrade. That's the second uh, very important temperature when the proteins are cut by the enzymes. Then for about a third of the volume is taken and pumped into the smallest vessel meshing kettle, where it is heated up from 50 to 65, then to 75, and after that, boiled. Mm. After the boil, the first mesh, it is the third of the volume approximately, is pumped back to the rest of the brew, to the second vessel, meshing in vessel, and uh, the process mm -hmm. is repeated. It means that, uh, again, for about a third of the volume is taken, pumped into the meshing kettle, heated up to uh 75 because after uh, the first pumping the temperature increases up to 65 in the machining kettle and the process is repeated 75 boil again and pumped into machining in kettle then uh, the temperature increases up to 78 80 when all the processes the enzymatic processes are stopped uh, so that's uh, that was very shortly described uh, the two mesh process, which in practice takes for about four hours. So after this procedure, uh, the ratio uh, between uh, the, sh the sugars, the starch, uh, the small molecules, the bigger molecules, the long molecules, is uh, specific, and that's a kind that's a part of the recipe of every uh, beer which uses the mesh decoction. Mm. So how long is a typical brew day for you guys then? Typical brew day? Uh, it's tough work because our brew house uh, is uh, able to brew 12 brews per day. So it's running non-stop. There are three shifts. Right. And uh, me as a brewmaster and my deputy brewmasters we are only checking the quality during the process. Then there are our uh, brewers, which are brewing uh, each day 12 brews per day, and very similarly educated people are uh, in the brewery at uh, fermentation station, lager cellar, uh, yep. bottling lines, and so on. 
I would just add that those uh, 12 brews a day, it's not so that uh, we would uh, finish one brew and then start the other from yeah, scratch yeah. on the same. It's always so that uh, as you have ended the first stage, which is the mashing, and um, uh, transport your your wort to the lottering town, then you already can start the next batch while the, the hop brewing and all the other stuff of the first batch is still to, to proceed, you know? So yep. it can be like following. Yeah. So to move like what one gale, one one brew through the entire system from hot liquor tank to into the fermenter, like how how long does that process take with the decoction mashing? The whole brew takes uh, for about ten hours. Ten hours, right? There's probably a whole bunch of UK brewers with a single infusion mash tun thinking right now. Um, going to bother decoction mash on my kit <laughs> too long a brew day um so let, let's uh let's move on to hops so what what's how do you choose some of the best hops varieties for lagering and what are those varieties and um are you going out specifically to the hop farms to, to pick them and all that kind of thing yeah, if you uh, want to choose the hops you uh, have to know uh, what do you want uh, uh, to have at the end in the beer? It mm. means the bitterness and the aroma. Uh, again, uh, the very typical example of Budweiser Boudoir, it's a very simple story because we want to have uh, the mild bitterness, very mild bitterness, giving the drinkability of the beer and full dose of hops aroma. So in this case of Budweiser Boudoir beer, uh, that's uh, fine aroma zaster hops uh, in form of the hop cones, mm. which is the only full dose of the hops aroma and very mild bitterness typical for uh, the variety. So, so are you saying that brewers ideally should be using whole leaf rather than pellets for brewing like proper good lager beers? Yeah, there is no problem to use the pellets. There is no problem to use another uh, varieties uh, of hops. Uh, it's always about uh, the harmony and about the drinkability. Because yeah. I am absolutely sure, and that's one of the reasons why Budweiser Budvar uses uh, those fine aroma zaster hops, that the zaster hops and fine bitterness uh, is giving uh, the drinkability into the beer. Yeah. So what's, what sort of IBU should brewers be going for then if they're after that kind of soft, palatable, but not bland lagers? Well, we use uh, semi-early red vine hops. That's the variety and it's uh, rich on essential oils, which give aroma and it has quite quite low uh, count of alpha and beta acids mm. compared to other uh, hops so this is probably what 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 to look into i would say this direction yeah and um i think the the other uh, just mentioned um hop products you know pellets um there are many other um there are more reasons, though, why we uh, stick to to the natural hop cones. Um, the hop uh, is very complex uh, resource. You know, it has lots of compounds, which, which by uh, being processed, can actually slip away, and then we are losing this advantage. Um, if you if you see or if you comp maybe if you used um, the 
processed hop um, sauce hops um, in forms of pellets for uh, beer, which would be maybe based on different malt type or uh, which would be kind of stronger in one or the other way. It might not be such a problem, but um, in case of Badoir, I think the, the the delicacy of the base is laid out so that uh, all what we can absorb from the natural hops can actually play its own role in the harmony. So, mm. so this this is how we see it, and this is why we stick to the natural hop cones, even though we know it's quite uh, you know hard to work with. It's um, more complicated to grow, to store, and so on, but it has its uh, advantages because of its natural form. Yeah, Nick. I- I think um, there's also there's a bit of an affinity here with um, that, that I've seen. I'm, I'm a big cask ale uh, fan from from my pub days of looking after cask in the cellars. And uh, for me, you know, I've, I've been to Harvey's Brewery and, and, and visited Miles there a few times and, and to Fuller's quite a lot. Um, you know, when you, you Miles at, at Harvey's Brewery, as an example, you know, they only use whole uh, whole cone English hop varieties, Kent, uh, Goldings, and other varieties, and and for them. You know that they have their way of, of treating the hops, but for them, and, and when speaking to Mars, it's actually about the the nuance of flavour that you get from whole cone to pellet. Now, if you if you're using you know American hop varieties that that have um, lot lots of those kind of hoppy aromatic citrus flavours, um, pe- again pellets are fine to use. But I have also heard that using the the European varieties and and UK varieties. That there is some argument that there's some of the nuanced flavors that can be lost through pelletization. Um, so, you know, for, for Budweiser Budvar, it's something that's traditional, it's very important. Um, and I, I think we're one of the, the only breweries of its size in the world. We, we only brew beer in Cheske Budjevice. We don't cross brew anywhere else, which is probably why the guys are doing 12, 12 a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the only brewery of our size to continue to only use whole cone SARS hops for the amount of beer. Um, for for our lager, so it's a uh, yeah, it, it's a mixture of tradition and also, uh, as as Adam puts it, harmony. Yeah, I would imagine you've got automatic rakes to dig out those hops from the brew kettle, right? Or people still have to get in and dig things out. Oh, please come visit. You will see people sh- oh, just uh, yeah, manually adding the hops from big big uh, bags into the into the brew. <laughs> I, I think How are they, Georgie? Are they done? Is, is it automated to remove the uh, the trube, the the hot particles left over, or is is it um, is it done uh, manually, or is it done a- automatically? It's automated. There is a special equipment with thief and screw, which removes the uh, the, the hops trap. Uh, but uh, I must say that it's very difficult to buy such an equipment uh, nowadays. So they are. Uh, old-fashioned uh, equipment uh, r- uh, running uh, till today uh, in the brew house. Yeah. I was at Timothy Taylor's in Keithley in West Yorkshire uh, earlier this year, and um, they were showing me how they have to hoik up all their like whole-leaf hops up to, up to this tower. And, um, y- you know, so many of them, and, and, you know, put them in by hand and then... Um, and lot, you know, have to get in at the end and, and dig them out. And I was I was amazed really because they're they're quite a large family, still family owned brewery. Um, but I I loved seeing the hands on nature and the fact that they again they they were using whole leaf hops to brew um, 
landlord, which is their flagship pale ale. And um, I, I definitely think there's there's something to be said for using whole, whole cone hops when when brewing. But again, it's it's that attention to detail and that nuance, isn't it? So, talk us through the fermentation profile of lagers then, and and some of the considerations to make when you're fermenting, because obviously you're using a different strain of um, of yeast. So since the beginning of this brewery, uh, we are using the only strain. It's number two of collection of Research Institute of Brewing and Malting in Prague. So they are these, uh, this typical organism of Budweiser Budvar site. Uh, we, uh, nowadays we are using uh, the cylinder conical vessels for main fermentation only, not for maturation. And uh, horizontal huge tanks for maturation of the beer. All uh, the stages of uh, of fermentation uh, are uh, at cold temperature. It means that uh, during the main fermentation, the temperature doesn't exceed 11 degrees centigrade. And uh, in the lager cellar, uh, there is the temperature uh, about 2 degrees centigrade. Yep. So when these macro brewers are churning out lagers within 48 hours lagers in inverted commas how are they doing that because obviously you know you you, you're fermenting at colder temperature which obviously goes slower the obviously the word lager means to store so you're storing it and selling it like but so how do these global brewers manage to churn this stuff out so quickly Uh, if I uh, understand the the question, uh, what, what was the question? Uh, how to do it quicker? No, no, or, no. How, how do oh. you, so? So with with global brewers like like yeah. Budweiser, uh, like or Molson Coors, like when, when they're brewing, like I've I've heard that they they literally it takes them forty eight hours to. There, there is actually men. a brewery that does it in twenty minutes, and it's it's the enzyme, isn't? It? No. Oh, that's uh, the, the other thing. <laughs> there, there are different uh, technologies, but I, I can't compare our uh, traditional technology with very quick technologies because if you use the quick technologies, you can use enzymes higher temperature. You can misuse the new tools, the new tools uh, like cylinder conical uh, vessels to be quick but I think not good enough in taste, because uh, if we uh, use uh, the too much decoction, uh, it could be a sin to do it in fermentation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I must say, because uh, if you buy the, the most expensive, the best um, raw materials, ingredients, then uh, you proceed uh, the too much decoction uh, it fits together uh, to not to ignore the nature in the fermentation stage as well. Yeah. So uh, that was the reason why uh, I wasn't sure with the question because our case uh, it's again very similar to the old books of brewing. There was written that if uh, the beer, the wort in in brew house has ten degrees of plateau. 10, deg- 10 days for main fermentation uh, are needed. And the same case in case of lager, 12 degrees, 12 days. And it's still valid in our brewery. 
uh, we uh, ferment 12 days of main fermentation uh, of the lager. Then we continue with maturation for uh, three months. So then uh, a few days or several hours for fermentation. Uh, it, it sounds uh, not not good for me. <laughs> no. I mean, but I'm, I'm sure that the, you are not able to do the same. You can uh, produce some beer, but not, not the premium lager. Oh, no. I, mean, I, would, <laughs> I, I would say either do either we do it the, the traditional way and, and there is beer at the end of the process or, or we just cut corners and then we have a beer-like beverage. Um but today, uh, if you look at the new technologies and uh, if, if you see the, the tremendous efficiency that uh, some of the new technologies allow, it, it's breathtaking. Uh, it's not about uh, brewing the beer from scratch the way we do, you know, um, high gravity brewing uh, to, to, to brew a high um plateau liquid to be watered down at the very end of the process. Um, the enzymatic uh, work around the, the, the starches transformation, all this can be accelerated. Uh, even the fermenting can be uh, done at higher temperature um, for sake of you know quality and development of, of taste balance. And but but once you have this. Um, and you understand uh, that this is just uh, like a semi-product to be somehow uh, fine-tuned and altered to taste uh, the way it kind of should. Then, then well, that's that's a way to look at. But but oh my God, this is something what we would never be able to do, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 a pale imitation, isn't it? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, as as I'm sure you you guys are, it's sacrilegious to you know <laughs> to even to even consider doing such a thing um because the these to do things properly it takes time and again all that all that detail um i mean what what approach just looking at some of the detail to, uh, with with lagers like what approaches do you take practically to cleaning up a lager like di diacetyl res or keeping sulfur compounds under check etc because i found with i'm not naming any names but some of the the smaller microbreweries in the uk that have recently started brewing lagers i've had like you referenced earlier josh there's been some great ones out there i mean um, manchester union brewery and utopia brewing are two that i think are are really excelling but some of the ones i've had have, have, have not not for those breweries but from other breweries that should remain nameless i've just had beers where i'm just like i can i can smell sulfur really bad there's bad flavor compounds i mean and obviously you, you drink a budvar and it's it's just perfect you know it's everything's harmonious as you say like how, how should brewers approach cleaning up their lagers to make sure that they have that really clean crisp flavor profile yeah to, to have the clean beer it means to be patient again and to keep the lagering period especially i am absolutely sure and my colleagues as well because we have tested many times what could the lagering period do with the beer. Uh, you need time uh, to clear it up from the volatiles. So that's the reason why in Boudoir 
there is practically no diacetyl because the, uh, the maturation period is uh, long enough and you can be sure that at the end of maturation there won't be any uh, any volatile compounds which could disturb uh, the taste of uh, fine lager. Mm. Technically, it's it's actually quite interesting because diacetyl is created by the yeast uh, during the fermentation, and later on it's uh, degraded again by the same yeast. But you have to allow the time for it to happen. Yep. So therefore, we have the long maturation process and low temperatures to make sure that uh, everything comes to the end as it should. As it should. Yeah. So what, what are some of the challenges a brewery like Budweiser Budvar faces on a daily basis? What sort of things can go wrong? <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's very, uh, very Do you have lots of time for this podcast? <laughs> no, I, I think that's very, it's a very interesting question because uh, you, I um, said many times, uh, you must be patient. You have uh, to buy excellent ingredients. You have to keep the process. It's quite a difficult task. You are right, uh, but fortunately nowadays uh, the brewery is uh, excellently equipped by new tools. So, and uh, not only tools, but uh, the personnel which is uh, educated in brewing and molding. And if you have all these items. Uh, then it's uh, much, much easier. So I must say that uh, I've told, uh, I've been working in uh, for Boudoir 21 years, and uh, there was no day when such a catastrophe in case of beer production or taste came. The catastrophes only came uh, with some uh, machinery or equipment. Mm. But if you if you check the quality uh, from the beginning, from ingredients, because each railway car in coming into the brewery with malt is checked by the quality. There is the average sample from each of them. Uh, then you check the quality in brew house many times in uh, fermentation stage, maturation stage. Uh, there is practically no risk uh, to uh, get uh, wrong beer at the end yeah so so it's it's quite uh, routine work nowadays and uh, i can't say the word challenge uh, to avoid this risk because i feel it that it's the normal routine not not challenge yeah and how do you keep on top of something like shelf life especially when you know a beer like budvar can be traveling overseas and even sitting on warm shelves for weeks on end how, how do you make sure that what somebody's picking up from a supermarket or um, from a bar or pub or restaurant when when they're open again, um, you know, how, how can you ensure that it's it's consistent with how it is in the brew house or sorry from the cellar tanks? It's it's always the dilemma uh, with the shelf life because uh, me as a brewmaster, I always prefer the the most uh, fresh beer, the freshest beer, uh, because it's very similar to bread. Mm. Taste is the best. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I'm proud of it that we uh, 
export the beer around the world. Nowadays, more than 80 countries in the world. And uh, you uh, have to get for the compromise. So it, it means that uh, for the maximum maximal uh, shelf life, you, you do much. Uh, you uh, filter the beer. You have to pasteurize the beer uh, in very gentle way because uh, the gentle way, uh, that's the possibility not to uh, break uh, the taste of the beer and keep uh, longer uh, shelf life. So nowadays we are able uh, to have one year shelf life in bottles uh, exported uh, around the world. But uh, my recommendation is always the one, uh, try to drink the beer the freshest. I bet drinking it from the cellar at the brewery is an experience to behold, isn't it? Yeah, I, I have to agree. That's the greatest uh, occasion to test how fresh beer uh, should taste or the fresh bottle. It's available in the brewery only and mm. in Goodbye City. Yeah. You see, this is an important part uh, of uh, the quality control. We know that uh, in the brewery there is a system. It's uh, in-house. We can look after it. We can make sure that the process is is really done the way it should. But um, if you are in the bar um, somewhere, let's say in London, and you got your pint of barbar and you don't like it, you know, it might not taste all right to you. So who would you blame? Well, I think the brewery is always the first, but but there are so many things between the brewery and the pub tap that where it potentially can go wrong. So I would just add one uh, little dimension to to all this: what can go wrong, and and what we should focus at is uh, to extend the care we have in our brewery through all the distribution to our pubs, to our bars, you know, to make sure how we handle the beer um, as. It goes on truck to a different country so the truck doesn't get stuck somewhere in the sun um, and then cold again overnight and then the sun again uh, these shocks and you know there are so many things that can actually harm the taste of the beer and it's not necessarily always uh, in the brewery you have to keep this in mind as well yeah i think um from a from a uk perspective as well nick just to kind of add, add a bit of extra context um, you know, and, and to, to Georgie's point there as well, we do actually have a tech services team um, that works with us. Uh, well, that's part of, of Budweiser Budvar in the UK, led by a chap called Tony. Um, he's been working for Budvar since the, the late 90s. So we, we offer line cleaning support. We offer, you know, we do everything that we can, you know, go right the way back to dipping the beer. Uh, we want to get the beer in fresh. We want to then educate the people there how to pour it, what everything about our beer, how to serve it, make sure their lines are fresh. So we, we put that system in place as well. Um, you know, and I, I think Adam mentions unpasteurized beer, which is our, our original lager that, that, you know, that tastes fantastic. And we, we try and uh, keep our stocks lean and to, to, to encourage the sale of that through on and off trade. Uh, but we, we do also offer a couple of variants in the UK that, um, you know, can, can bring the, the, the drinkers experience closer to that hallowed experience of being in the Budweiser Budvar cellars in Chesky Budjavice. Um, we've got nine tank beer sites uh, spread across the UK. You can you can find uh, the location of those actually on, on our on our website. 
Budweiser Budweiser.com. Um, and you know, and that's unpasteurized original uh, Budweiser Budvar, and, and and it's fantastic to drink the beer in that that sort of way. Um, we also have a beer called Croisand, which is a an unpasteurized, unfiltered, uh, ten degree lager. Which again, you know, you can get that in places like the Euston Tap, Piccadilly Tap, Pembury Tavern. So we've got a few, again, a few different variants uh, that are here where you can have it either pasteurized or unpasteurized and you know, yeah, it's all about training, quality, and just just monitoring. Yeah, that's kind of an extended hand of, of Adam <laughs> and the quality control, which should reach all the way to our bars and pubs to make sure everything is taken seriously. I would I would really recommend when this uh, situation is is over to uh, to visit some of our tank sites and and uh, taste the beer from from tank uh, freshly delivered. This is actually the the closest seller like experience we can provide. I shall definitely doing that and coming out of the brewery. <laughs> Look, <laughs> they were the brewery once, uh, once once the travel resumes, you can uh, the, the, you know the guys can talk to you there. So we've we've got a global rebrand happening at the moment, and, and uh, I'm hearing some some amazing things they're going to be installing at the brewery in terms of uh, you know the the, the the brewery shop and and tour experience. But but yeah, you you absolutely have to uh, come across and uh, come and drink straight from the cellars. For me, drinking dark lager from the tanks in the cellar was uh it was one of my beer bucket lists top things that i wanted to tick off before working for budvar uh my day two of working with the company actually i flew straight out to the brewery and uh and, and thankfully got to drink dark lager straight from the tank which oh. was uh beer, beer bucket list. Oh, don't tempt me frodo <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> amazing well surely you are always welcome to the brewery as uh, the listeners of this podcast are Ah, happy days. The listeners are also welcome, which they are. We'll need a big bus. Indeed. (laughs) Um, So just to round off, um, because it's, you know, it's inevitable that you can't escape the coronavirus pandemic and and how it's shaping life and culture and and beer drinking. So just to round off, where do you see the brewing industry and beer consumption heading over the next few years, particularly in light of what's happening at the moment? I think obviously at the moment and the, the, the current situation, which is unfortunate, has, has cut off the, the on-trade, the hospitality industry, pubs and restaurants are, are, you know, are no longer functioning as, as they once were and a lot of them are closed. Um, you know, and that, that's, that's really tough at the moment. Um, we, we have seen growth even before this, this situation has happened, growth of people drinking more at home. You know, with the availability of, of being able to purchase online and, and, and people liking to drink in the comfort of their own home. I think this situation has exacerbated that. And, and you know, people obviously are now drinking more at home. Um, that's kind of pushed us, to be honest, uh, to, to think of new ways of how people can interact with our beer. Um, you know, a lot of virtual experiences. We, we recently did a... Uh, a beer tasting to 126 travel bloggers and influencers for a, for an event that we were doing in collaboration with with an event company. Um, so you know, I, I think this situation is getting some amazing creative ideas out of people. But um, you know, from a UK perspective, ultimately we we want to see our pubs open um, and 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 you know get back to being able to socialise with people. But um, you know, number one, it's people need to come back, but but it needs to be safe to do so, and that starts with our teams internally and and everyone around us. So, I think uh, 
I think it's it, it's a lot of challenge ahead, and and you know, and there needs to be the right kind of support, um, continued support from the government, and and potentially more support in terms of uh, uh, rent support and, and and other things to um, you know to ensure that we have a hospitality industry to go back to whenever that might be. Yeah. What about in Europe? Like, how, how does it shape up their culture? And I'm quite interested how social distancing works in a brewery. Because obviously, you know, this this just by nature of it, having worked in as a brewer myself, you know, it's it's it can be difficult. Well, the the brewery um, allowed uh, people who who can work uh, distance, who can work from home, um, to move to uh, you know their work to home, and uh, so we are practically facing the same challenges all through Europe, you know, with um, all the uh, situation which uh, we are not used to. We have to deal with so many things at once and uh, we don't have the, 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 the um, environment of our office where we are trained to focus at the stuff. So <laughs> it's a bit challenge. But um, I think um, it must be uh, more challenging in the production where people really have to be physically. So, uh, Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. we managed well, right? <laughs> I, I want to react because uh, it, it seems to be difficult, but it, it wasn't, I must say, because uh, the production today, it's not so overcrowded. There is a few people and we really uh, are aware how fragile equilibrium is the health and uh, the health is and uh, uh, there was no uh, ill uh, worker in in the production and we are proud of it uh, so uh, it's really necessary to keep the production and i think it's much much stronger than uh, to want to break the rules and uh, have a beer together uh, each day we tested a sample of, of the beer, but respecting of all of the uh, epidemiological rules. So we survive uh, this period uh, very well. And uh, I'm glad that we can uh, share the joy from the beer uh, with uh, people in Great Britain and other countries in the world. Brill. Well, thank you for being on the Hot Four podcast today. And on behalf of the people of Britain, and I'm sure else, elsewhere in the world, um, you know, th- thank you for doing what you do. I've, I know um, Budweiser Budvar has been helping me through, uh, through my lockdown, and, um, and and I'm really glad to hear that some of the other beers like the Dark Lager are coming online as well. So, h- how can people get hold of those beers if they want to try them and um, and find out more about the brewery? So, I mean, um, yeah, in terms of finding out about the brewery, um, as I say, we've, we've got this global rebrand that um, un- under the sort of headline of greetings from the Republic of Beer, we've just launched a new website, um, which which is well, fantastic. There's lots of information on there about the brewery, our beers. We've just launched a new blog as well. There's, there's three articles on there. Um, a good friend, Johnny Tyson, uh, a.k.a. the Beer Wrangler, who's just launched a podcast as well, actually. He's um, he's writing the blog for us. There's a great one on non-alcohol uh, uh, beer that we produce. Um, we've actually just launched an e-store as well, so you can purchase all of the beers available from, 
from Budweiser Budvar in the UK is available to buy with our partner Flavorly. So you can get that through the website and also um, new brewery merch. There's some fantastic merchandise available. But um, I think, you know, from from day to day, we're not launching this to to you know take away from sales from our on and off trade uh, partners. So we're absolutely available. Our original lager is available in most supermarkets. Um, and, you know, when the pubs open back up, there, there's nothing better than a, a well-poured Czech lager with a, with a good amount of fun. But, um, yeah, start with the website, and, and, and there's so much information there. And uh, follow us on Instagram as well, at Budvar UK. Amazing. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. And greetings from the Republic of Beer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having us, Nick. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Hi, so